0: support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th, registration at empowermissouri.org/woa. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.
1: The 2022 session is right around the corner, And Senate Democrats could play a bigger role than usual in handling big budgetary decisions and how to redraw Missouri's congressional map. Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo has a lot to say on what's to come. And the Independence Democrat joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to preview what could be a turbulent few months in Jefferson City. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics.
0: We have to talk about things that matter to people.
1: I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians
0: first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values.
1: After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in Jefferson City, she is St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter
0: Sarah Kellogg.
1: And joining us, he is the Senate Minority Leader. He represents the 11th district, which includes a portion of Jackson County. Our guest today is
2: Senator John Rizzo.
1: Senator, thanks for coming back to the show. Just remind our our listeners what your district encompasses before we pepper you with aggressive and hostile questions.
2: Sure. So my district uh, represents, um, I represent part of downtown Kansas City in the northeast part of Kansas City, kind of by where the Kansas City Museum is, east to uh, Buckner. And then, uh, but for the most part, it is uh, the home of Harry Truman. And the biggest part of the district is Independence, Missouri. Uh, which is where I live and and, and my kids go to school and all that. So, uh, yeah, Independence, Missouri is the biggest part of the district, but it it, it ranges from Kansas City, downtown Kansas City to Buckner, which is a pretty wide swath of views, if you if you will.
1: (laughs) Uh, Very much so. We'll just start off with a pretty open ended question. What are your expectations for the 2022 legislative session?
2: Well, you know, I, I think we we usually come in with different ideas and thoughts, but I will tell you the over overarching subject that we're all gonna have to be dealing with is A, redistricting right off the bat, and then um, making sure all the people that are running against each other for whatever congressional seat they're running for, or US Senate seat, don't kill each other. So, you know, we, we have a lot of people within the Senate chamber and, and some in the House chamber um, that are uh, running for the, the, the congressional seats that have been vacated so that they so that those congressional members could run for the vacated or uh, Roy Blunt's seat now that he's retiring. So it has created a, uh, a big vacuum, so to speak. So uh, we'll, we'll see.
0: You've mentioned a lot of things that we will get to, but what kind of legislation are you maybe expecting to see?
2: Uh, honestly, in an election year, a lot of hyperbolic legislation. Um, you know, we, we have seen a lot of anti-Joe Biden stuff from the supermajority Republican legislature, uh, uh, you know, from, from the Attorney General suing everybody that's moving that, that, that looks like or appears to be a Democrat uh, nationally to um, uh, whatever machination will get their name in the paper for the next few months so that they can uh, wrangle votes for their next race, unfortunately.
0: And so kind of how do you weed through that then to kind of get to legislation that you think is is worthy of a committee, maybe worthy going through the chambers?
2: You know, you, you try to emphasize the things that are important. You try to come in with a with a list through your caucus of, of, of uh, uh, things that are important to them and, and, and try to manage expectations. And sometimes it's a matter of, uh there's a senator that really feels like something might help them down the road that really doesn't do anything <laughs> and uh you maybe barter a deal to let them get the thing that doesn't really do anything so that you can pass something that is meaningful that maybe isn't as hyperbolic as what they wanted to do but actually has a uh, real real life-changing policy in it for some families so
0: So we saw a little bit of this during the veto session, but do you think that some of the tensions that arose last session between Republicans will arise again? How will Democrats respond to that, and can they use it to their
2: advantage? Uh, Yeah, look, the way session ended last year, I think you guys are familiar with, it wasn't good. I mean, uh, the, the leadership team on the Republican side in the Senate told a lot of different people a lot of different things. And unfortunately for them, a lot of us got in the same room and exchanged stories. So... And and they didn't quite add up, which parlayed into a a pretty big meltdown in the in in the Senate chamber at the last day of session. So um, we're going to have to figure out how to traverse that gauntlet here in the next few weeks before we go back, because I I don't feel like a lot has changed since the last day of session. We came back uh, for a special session and uh, passed a, a clean FRA bill to keep our hospitals running during the pandemic, which. And it's saying that in itself is pretty wild that we couldn't get that done during regular session, that we we, we, we had to come back in a special session to, to get that done. So um, we were the adults in the room and uh, we decided not to uh, be as contentious as maybe we could have been to, to keep our hospitals open and get billions of dollars of funding brought into the, the state of Missouri like we have since the 90s. Uh, and uh, but but now with that out the door, you know, th- there's a lot there's still some some mens that need to be made.
0: I guess kind of my next train of thought is, you know, the idea of like bipartisanship and working together. I've asked lawmakers, you know, Republicans and Democrats about the opportunities for bipartisanship, bipartisan legislation. I guess kind of where specifically do you see that? Because I'm getting a lot of like, yeah, there's bipartisan opportunities. I haven't really heard specific answers yet.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that I think that there's possibilities for, for, for bipartisanship. I, I get along with everybody. And I think that there's a lot of people in, in in my side of the aisle that 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 really reach across and try to get along with everybody. We're in a position where we have to, right? We all know the numbers and we all know that they can put the gas pedal down pretty much whenever they want. So, so you know, we have to work across party lines on a lot of different issues in order to even get a sniff at trying to get our stuff passed so we're open to suggestions and we're open to compromise I mean the parents bill of rights that that I have is is a bill that you know I'm open to to having some discussion about and and uh, I know there are some people on the other side of the aisle that were thinking the same thing that I was and and uh we have our differences of course but uh I'd be more than happy to to sit down with whoever that to 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 work through that to try to get something passed i mean the attorney general and i have worked on legislation together before in the past you know when he was in the senate and i was in the house we 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 have been able to compromise and, and and reach common ground and uh come up with decent moderate solutions for the state of missouri
1: can you elaborate on the parents bill of rights what would it do It does seem to be the the fact that you're putting it forward, a response to Republican proposals, which seem to be taking aim at what I like to classify as diversity curriculum. I don't like calling it critical race theory because every school district we talk to says they're not teaching critical race theory. But it's kind of ballooned into trying to take aim at every diversity, equity and inclusion initiative at schools. What's your idea behind your specific proposal?
2: Yeah, I think that... um... A lot of parents in this last year that we've seen throughout the country uh, have either are not uh, as informed as maybe they should be or are being actively misinformed about what their rights are as parents. And unfortunately, that leads to confrontation at school board meetings. That leads to confrontations uh, maybe with teachers or even other parents. Or in some cases, I saw, I think it was in Florida or other places, uh, uh, adults yelling at children. And I think a lot of that comes from parents don't quite grasp uh, what their rights are uh, as a parent. And a parent should know what's being taught in their child's school. A parent should know uh, if someone is lecturing uh, uh, at their school that that, that they disagree with maybe, and they don't want their child to be there that day and and decide that they keep them home or something. I don't know, but they should be informed in that regard. Uh, A parent should know The uh, that is in my bill, the positives of getting immunized from polio, from measles, from mumps, from rubella, from all of the immunizations that I had as a child that I'm sure you guys had as a child, that my children have had, that my daughter had to have before. She went to her public school in Independence, Missouri. And and, and a lot of that has been so politicized and, and, and parents have been so actively misinformed about what they're angry about that if we can maybe put this into a a, a solid, uh, enumerated uh, piece of legislation, maybe it'll cause uh, less animosity at the next school board meeting and some teacher who's just trying to help children doesn't get yelled at. Or some school board member who's uh, volunteering their time in most cases, not being paid, not being, uh, uh, you know, trying to be a part of the the curriculum in their community doesn't get harassed or yelled at or uh, sent angry tweets or messages or whatever it might be. And that's my whole premise for it. And, and then obviously, uh, one big change too is if there were violations, we would have the local prosecutor uh, uh, take that up and not the attorney general since we, he's got so much on his plate right now with all the lawsuits that he's filed.
1: Besides this particular issue, I think one of the most pressing things that's going to be a part of the 2022 session is going to be budgetary matters. Um, and we're going to go in a few different directions with this topic. Um, What sort of tensions do you expect to emerge as lawmakers go through what I feel is an unprecedented situation in Missouri's modern history where they have tons of money to appropriate, um, but lots of disagreement over where that money should go?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, we just had our uh, caucus retreat Couple days ago in uh, Columbia, Missouri, where you know the Democrats came together, and we had a presentation from our great uh, Adam Coningsville with the budget and with the appropriation staff. And we're going to have record amounts of money um, this year. I don't think we've ever. It's it's going to be somewhere around two point five billion, so maybe close to three billion after all the dollars that are brought in. And that doesn't even include uh, the passage of the Build Back Better Act. If that happens here in the next 30, 60 days, there'll be Uh, More of an influx from that. We look obviously every year at our retreat, we look at some of the bills that were pre filed and how we're going to either support or attack them or or, or change them or whatever. And there's a variety of bills that range from uh, uh, different tax cuts uh, to to different proposals for early childhood education and things like that. So everybody has a lot of different ideas on how we spend it or don't. Oh, and, and so it, we're going to have to flesh all that out but um this is a real opportunity and it's a real opportunity for this state to to get back on equal footing with the rest of the region uh, we're 49th in education funding in the country 49th we have 2.5 billion dollars let's let, let's let's bump that up a little bit you know the, we we have grossly underfunded uh, the republican majority has grossly underfunded uh, uh, transportation for schools in the state of Missouri. Hundreds of millions of dollars we've underfunded it every the, the, the Republican majority has underfunded it every year. So hundreds of millions of dollars. So wh- in, why don't instead of having school buses running two and sometimes three times in the morning on the routes and staggering uh, uh, starting times because we can't the the, the state has underfunded it so, so much that uh, we can't get kids to school at the same time. You know, we should we should we should look at completely funding transportation uh, for schools. We should look at at funding the early childhood education, which, with the Build Back Better Act, is paid for. So you know, th- there's a lot of good things that we can do with that money. And, and, and you know, a middle a middle class tax cut like we did last year with the Earned Income Tax Credit. You know, Democrats were able to secure an Earned Income Tax Credit, which is essentially, a tax cut for middle-class working Missourians. We're all for that. I mean, people want to try to paint Democrats as anti-tax cut. We're not. We want to we want to cut taxes for the people that need it, not the people that are just going to proliferate uh, uh, their garages with more cars. You know, we, 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 there's a single mom out there who's having trouble making ends meet. She deserves a tax cut. She deserves to be able to um, get her kids to school on time because the transportation is fully funded by the majority party. And, 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 and she deserves pre-K that we want to pay for and, and help. These things are all beneficial.
0: One part of the supplemental budget that could evoke controversy is funds to expand Medicaid. Some Republicans have already said that the Supreme Court decision basically gives no choice but to appropriate those funds. It's still possible that it becomes an issue of contention in the Senate. How do you think that'll shake out?
2: I think it will be an issue of contention, for sure. Um, I think that you have uh, people uh, in the majority party that are so dug in that they, they, they're they going to do anything but throw their, their bodies on the train track to stop uh, expanding Medicaid in the state of Missouri, which, by the way, is health care for working people in the state of Missouri. That's the thing they want to jump on the train tracks for. So, I mean, let's, let's put this into perspective, because I think it gets lost sometimes with Obamacare or or Medicaid expansion or all these catchphrases, bottom line is this is healthcare for working Missourians that keeps hospitals open for the most part, honestly, in rural Missouri, outside of all of our democratic districts. Uh, You know, St. Luke's in Kansas City is not going under. Truman Medical Center, I guess the new University Health is going to stay open. We'll figure out a way in our counties in Jackson County and St. Louis City and County to keep our healthcare going. Columbia will do the same thing. I'm sure Greene County will do the same thing. But when you start getting into places like Jasper, Missouri, where my in-laws are from, or Dunklin County, or places where you have to drive 30, 45 minutes to a hospital, those are the places going to get hurt. You know, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the problem. That's, that's who Democrats are fighting for, really. I mean, they're really fighting for rural Missouri. They're, they're fighting to keep those rural hospitals open, those, those urgent cares open. Um, you know I, I'm very fortunate and blessed my kids are going to get health care because our community in Jackson County has made that a priority so Jackson Countyans will get health care St. Louis County will get health care St. Louis City will get health care and uh, yeah, so that that's where we're at but I have no doubt in my mind that that, that they will continue to uh, try to do everything they can it's settled Um, There's no reason for us to negotiate on funding that or not funding that. If they choose to cut their nose off to spite their face on that, uh, the courts will speak again and and it will will be swift and uh, uh, it'll move on.
1: We'll be back after this quick break with Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo. He is a Democrat from Jackson County. I want to move on to COVID-19 policy. This is still an issue almost two years after the pandemic began in earnest, which is still percolating throughout Missouri public policy circles, Uh, because we've seen a lot of lawmakers put forward bills to curtail vaccine mandates in private and public entities. And if you talk with Governor Mike Parson about this issue, He's been pretty clear from the beginning he is not in favor of like his office issuing a mandate and requiring private businesses to get their employees vaccinated. But he also told me that he's not in favor of like private businesses being unable to implement mandates on their own without government coercion. And since he said that, like a lot of lawmakers have. Basically disagreed with them and and are trying to do just that, making it so that a private company cannot issue COVID-19 mandates. What's kind of your expectations about how this issue is going to go in 2022?
2: Yeah, I mean, it just all depends on the numbers. I, I know this this issue gets pretty over politicized, and quite honestly, it's pretty simple. Uh, the, the more people that that they get vaccinated, the less opportunity. That the, the virus has to mutate and create a different strain that maybe uh, uh, the, the vaccine that we have uh, doesn't respond to. So, you know, you're, you're in this kind of uh, gray area, I guess you would say, I don't know how, how you would put it, that, that you want to push to get people to get vaccinated, but you don't want to push so hard uh, that, that people think something's up, I guess you would say. I don't know because we're living in this conspiracy theory world now uh but i mean the the bottom line is if we want to move past this we want to get back to normal and we want to go back to you know a, a packed movie theater or or or, or uh, feeling comfortable at a concert and and not have to uh jump through the the the, the hurdles of being in public spaces uh, crowded public spaces uh then you know we're all going to have to kind of uh, pitch in here and, and do our part. Um, and and it, it just I think that a lot of times the, the Republican majority is fighting their conspiracy theorists almost as much as they're fighting Democrats on on different policies. And uh, you have to really kind of tread lightly without going overboard because they're 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 quick to to take a, a, a staunch Republican that's been. Uh, Tried and true for a long time, and throw them overboard simply because they're they're they don't uh, espouse the the same rhetoric that the conspiracy theorists do. And and I think that's the gauntlet that, that Governor Parson has had to traverse for for quite a while. Uh, he has to make government work, but he has to unfortunately um, make sure that 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 fringe doesn't uh, uh, overtake common sense.
0: Missouri never issued a statewide mask mandate during the pandemic, and the ability for localities Mm -hmm. to implement those type of mitigation measures are hampered either by legislation or the courts. You know, how do you think this is affecting the state's ability to fight the pandemic?
2: Yeah, I mean, the numbers are the numbers. I mean, you know, we've seen that in the last few weeks, especially with Rudy Keller's reporting. Mask mandates have worked. Mask mandates have worked. I say it again and again. And 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 I hate the masks. Look, I'm I'm not a fan of them. I don't like having to wear a mask to a mall or to a to, to a grocery store or to, to whatever. I, I want to get back to normal. And and I think everybody does, but it makes it harder to do that when you have people actively out there uh, uh taking away the the, the the things that will get us back to normal. Um I think we are at a point to where we should, you know, I'm vaccinated. I've had my booster. My wife's vaccinated. She's had her booster. My children are now fully vaccinated. Well, I guess they will be in a couple of weeks from they they were vaccinated late last week. And and you know, at a certain point, you kind of have to pull back and go, "Well, who are the people that we're protecting here?" I mean, you know, you have to you have to ask yourself that that there are people out there that are just adamantly refusing to try to go and protect themselves and their families, and 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 the rest of the society is is sacrificing for people that really. Maybe don't want to be uh, protected, and so you know y- you have to wonder: Should we just go back to the way life is? Unfortunately, the way life was, unfortunately, and uh, people are going to have more pressure to get vaccinated, w- you know, without uh, having mask mandates. So I mean, that's a that's an honest question.
1: Yeah, that's a that is a good question because I say this as somebody who wears a mask. Somewhat often. I'm not going to say that I wear it 100% of the time. If I'm in a restaurant, I'm not going to obviously be wearing a mask while I'm eating. Um sure. But, you know, I live in a jurisdiction, St. Louis County, which up until maybe two hours ago, we're recording this on December 9th, 2021, had a mask mandate. And I've gone into places and, and people are just not wearing masks. It's not being enforced here. And I've also traveled to places outside the St. Louis metro area at the height of the pandemic, too. And looked into restaurants and seen literally zero people wearing masks. So every time I hear like people say, well, we should have had a statewide mask mandate, even if I am philosophically sympathetic to that point, no one has ever given me like a strategy about how you're going to enforce this in places where people just are not complying with it. Like, are you going to bring in the National Guard? Are you going to like deputize the health departments, which don't have a lot of people all together? Like, no one who has been supportive of a statewide mask mandate has ever articulated how you're actually gonna follow through on this. But I mean, what do you think of that that, that point?
2: Being from the metro area here in Kansas City uh, and, and being married to a, a woman that grew up in Jasper, Missouri uh, and, and you know, goes down to the farm very often, and my children do a lot, I was able to go from a place that was very adamant about masking very adamant about social distancing and and and, and the reduced uh, uh, tables at a restaurant. They were at like twenty five percent capacity, I believe, at one point, two hours south of me, just past Lamar, um, where where none of that was happening. And 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 not only was none of it none of it happening, it, it was almost a uh, uh, front if you did uh, try to do it. I, you know, I, I walked into different places in Jasper, Missouri, with my mask on, and and. I was looked at like I had a third eye, you know, and and it's okay, it, it, you know, it is what it is, but uh, you know, at a certain point you have to figure out, are we protect, trying to protect people that don't wanna be protected? And and what does that mean? And, 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 and that's gonna make it incredibly uh, hard for us to get past the pandemic, but does that also provide an incentive for people to get vaccinated? You know, we've always, we've sat, uh, you know, I was in the house, uh, Missouri House of Representatives, uh, and then I obviously went to the Senate, I've been in the legislature for a little over a decade now, and, and we always wondered at certain points, like, what does it take, right? What does it take for that person in rural Missouri to say, I am done voting with Republicans, I'm gonna vote for Democrats. did things have to happen to where they die, right? Like, does it have to get that bad? And unfortunately, we found out that that even then, even then, in some cases, when Democrats and, and, and the president and, and others are saying, we have this thing and this thing will make sure that you are safe and you and your loved ones will have an incredibly uh, uh, great, uh, a much greater chance at, at, at surviving a pandemic, they still won't uh, take it in some regards. So you know, some of that's our fault. Some of that's uh, the, the misinformation that they've gotten. And, you know, we've got to be able to communicate better, period. Democrats just have to be able to communicate to, to people better.
1: So let's talk about one of the, the, the biggest parlor game in Missouri politics. Do you think that sure. your Republican colleagues are going to try to take the fifth district, which Emmanuel Cleaver represents, which is probably now, depending on the election cycle, a plus 10 to plus 15 Democratic district and turn it into a plus 15 Republican district?
2: Uh, I think they do that at their own peril. Um, I really do. I think. I think that uh, I've heard these talks of, you know, a seven-one map. Even um, it's absurd. Democrats usually run around forty percent statewide, give or take. And last I checked, you know, six-two isn't forty percent. <laughs> so you know, seven-one would be just absolutely the 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 gerrymander of all gerrymanders. But uh, having said that, I will tell you a seven-one map with a change in tide nationally and in the state could very quickly look like a 5-3 map or even worse. Uh, So in order to just numbers wise make that work to where they have seven Republican members uh, and one Democrat member that we send to Washington DC in in the House of Representatives, um, if there's a shift in tide, uh nationally, you know, Joe Biden gets his Build Back Better Act, that the labor unions start to realize that uh Democrats uh uh are out there fighting tooth and nail for them their rank and file because sometimes the rank and file in the labor community uh does vote Republican and and uh you know they we start doing these proactive things like this infrastructure bill that actually is great for the labor community back, you know checkbook and um they start they start so sort to of coming back home so to speak and 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 there's a change in tide you you, you could very easily end up with three or four democrat members uh, in Washington DC so that's going to be how they decide to 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 move forward on that because they're in the supermajority but at the same time they should tread lightly and, and they should very very uh, be very steadfast about biting off more than they could chew
1: Well, let me talk about another scenario, which I think is a more likely one. Like, I've been on record. I don't think they're going to go for a 7-to-1 map for the reasons you mentioned, because it would make the 6th and the 4th district vulnerable in a wave Democratic year. But one other possibility, and Emanuel Cleaver was on KCUR and he actually thought that this was a possibility, is they turn it into a plus 5 or plus 8 Democratic district with the hope that in a wave Republican year— it would be not out of the realm of possibility for Republicans to pick that seat up. And look, I respect Emanuel Cleaver immensely. He is a great political leader of Kansas City. But if you look at his performance against a perennial candidate like Jacob Turk in wave Republican years, he only won by six points. He could definitely lose that seat in a scenario where it's a wave Republican year and it's only plus five. Like are are Democrats in Kansas City talking about that? Strong possibility oh, absolutely. At
2: all? Yeah, I mean look the one the one positive if you can call it that for Democrats uh, uh being so few uh, in elected office in the state of Missouri is we have the ability to laser focus, right? Like, you know, for us our job is, is pretty simple uh in the state house to is to maintain two seats right we we have to make sure there are, are at the very least uh two very viable democratic seats in the state of missouri they got to go and figure out you know ann wagner and and and, and who's going to replace the vicky hartzler seat and who's going to replace the billy long seat and making that one happy and this one happy and and, and there's five running for this in the state Senate, and there's two running for that in the state house. And so, you know, our, our job is, is about as laser focused as you can get. We need to, at the very least, maintain the two seats. And I think that we will be able to have a lot of opportunity to make friends across the aisle that are interested in that, as well as uh, their seat being uh, where they want it to be.
1: Yeah. I wanted to talk about the leverage that you have. Like I said publicly before uh, Parson decided not to call a special session that Democrats had no leverage in this. Now I could see a situation where if they tried to go for a 7-to-1 map, you you have all sorts of legislation that you could threaten to hold up to prevent that scenario from happening. And the other scenario that I just have realized is if they try to do a 7-to-1 map— you have the emergency clause to use as leverage because if you don't pass an emergency clause on this which is emergency clause for our listeners is you know the the map goes into effect right away then it doesn't go the map doesn't go into effect until August 28th i don't know how you don't move the primary under that scenario which would just be an apocalyptic situation for a lot of people so that's more of an observation than a question but is, is the emergency sure. clause like an actual leverage point for you? Or are there any other points where you could actually get a better outcome than, say, the Republicans in Illinois did?
2: You know, it's our job to find those uh, Achilles heels, right, and, and and take advantage of them. And uh, uh, to the best of our ability, and extract the, the things that we want, which are usually things for working class Missourians, uh, 99% of the time, or for education, or for uh, whatever it may be. So we, we, we're definitely open to, to looking at the field and, and finding the weak points and emphasizing them to, to try to get things done. Um, but I think the bigger scenario that you outlined is it, it could be apocalyptic. Just like not last year, not funding our, our, our hospitals would have been apocalyptic. Just like not expanding Medicaid, like the people voted for the state of Missouri would have been apocalyptic. And the Republican majority in Jefferson City seems to get pretty chummy with apocalyptic scenarios. And and that's the scarier part, right? Is that uh, we're gonna be, we're constantly, seems like we're constantly staring down the barrel of, you know, things like our hospitals closing, things like uh, our our education is grossly underfunded. You know, and and meanwhile, we have an attorney general running around suing Joe Biden, his dogs, his cats and everything else, you know, And, and we have, uh, all these Republican legislators that, that are talking about all of these things that don't really do anything or mean anything but make for a, a great headline which is why we're in so many special sessions now right because the Republican majority has decided regular session is for campaigning. regular session is for headlines and campaigning and introducing hyperbolic bills and all of that and then whoops this, the clock runs out and what do we you know they, they forgot to fund our, our hospitals. <laughs> And so we have to come back to a special session and do it. I mean, how many special sessions have we had called for this year, Jason? I mean, my goodness, I think the Missouri Times <laughs> ran a, a tally of how many legislators were calling for special sessions because majority of things that they wanted to get to during regular session just weren't, just didn't get to because they're busy passing bills to prevent things that don't exist.
1: Yeah, you're certainly correct on this, on that. I- why the governor didn't call a special session on redistricting, though, is a complete mystery to me because he's giving your- I can tell you why. Why?
2: Honestly, I can tell you why, Jason, because every time he calls a special session, it turns into a circus. Yeah. And, and, and I've been told that by multiple people who I've asked around uh, why we're not coming back into a special for one thing or another, obviously, but who's us to not come back for a special for redistricting, right, for all the points you stated earlier and leverage and things like that. But every time we come back for a special session, you have that Republican fringe that A, they won't stand up to, and B, they have to pacify with some sort of even crazier idea to get the, the, the bread and butter legislation passed, like funding our hospitals and our schools and our roads and bridges and things like that. So you talked about leverage. Well, there's no better leverage than, than being in a special session on one issue. And they can stop that or filibuster that or they need their votes on that. And, and so as long as they continue to pacify that fringe, that, that hard right fringe base, I guess you would say, especially every special session will be hijacked, as we've
1: seen. Well, well Senator, thank you so much for your time this morning uh politically speaking is a product of St. Louis public radio which is part of the university of missouri st louis you can read all of our stories at stlpr.org sarah how can people follow you on twitter
0: you can follow me on twitter at sarah k kellogg that's kellogg with two g's like
2: the cereal
1: and uh senator how can people follow you on twitter or any other parts of the world wide web
2: uh twitter at john j rizzo or uh, i guess just at john j rizzo
1: and do you have a TikTok?
2: <laughs> yes uh uh, I, I did get a TikTok during the pandemic, but I have not posted anything. I mostly, uh, my, my my daughters love the dances and that type of stuff. So uh, I, I broke down during the pandemic and and downloaded TikTok and they're all drafts. I, I don't really, I haven't, I don't think I've made one post, but I let them <laughs> uh, do the dances and and, and and everything else. And then uh, uh, I just put them in my drafts and save the videos for maybe 20 years from now and memories <laughs> have
0: you yourself attempted the dances
2: no no <laughs> no I have I have two left feet and and you know my wife and I might be good at a lot of things dancing is not our our fourth so <laughs>
1: well thank you for that And until next time so long